Hello and welcome to That One Case, the podcast where lawyers share stories of the cases that influenced their careers. My guest today is Ian Alexander, partner at Goldberg & Goldberg. Ian is a top 100 trial lawyer and his areas of practice include wrongful death, product liability, railroad litigation and more. And in this episode, he shares with us a story from 1995 when a young Ian, fresh out of law school, represented his client against one of the most famous musicians in the US at the time, R. Kelly. Well, 25 years ago, uh, when I was brand new, fresh out of law school, I was working in a firm in Chicago. A woman and her friend, who was R. Kelly's former tour manager, called in to the office. They had been referred by a lawyer in Los Angeles, and they wanted to um, they wanted to hire us to represent them because R. Kelly had uh, began an inappropriate sexual relationship with. My client, her name was Tiffany Hawkins, when she was 15 years old. And so I met with Tiffany and I interviewed her and she is the most amazing person uh, that I, and I've represented a lot of people and I always say I fall in love with my clients, but she is an amazing person and I still represent her to this day and I'm still close with her, but she came in and told me her story and I knew she was telling the truth. Nobody had ever, ever made any accusations against R. Kelly up until this point. I went to my boss at the time and I said, this young lady came in and explained what had happened to her. And my boss looked at me and said, who is R. Kelly? Now you have to understand this was 25 years ago, but we live in Chicago. And if R. Kelly is famous anywhere, it's in Chicago. And I looked at her and I said, R. Kelly, now I'm a total music person. I love music. I'm into all forms of music. And I knew who R. Kelly is. His music's not my type of thing, but it's not. I knew who he was and I had heard him. And I, he's a big deal. And she said to me, it's not like he's Frank Sinatra. Well, it turns out he's... He's exactly like Frank Sinatra in in terms of he sold much more music than Frank Sinatra probably did. I don't know that for sure, but he I think he was like one of the top 20 best-selling artists of all time. And he is basically, you know, the soundtrack of a certain generation of people, especially here in Chicago. So I convinced her to proceed with the case. And, and I think it's worth worth mentioning 25 years ago, and I'd love your kind of take on this. This is a long time before, you know, Me Too and, and really this kind of thing being a thing that was brought to trial, right? Like that's quite, I, I can imagine there's a fair amount of bravery on Tiffany's part here in terms of, you know, coming out and saying something when this wasn't something that was talked about publicly too, so often, right? Like, I, I mean, you tell me, but... I have to tell you, you have to read, there's a book by Jim DeRogatis, who's a music journalist here in Chicago called Soulless. And Jim was the person, he was the most dogged person uh, when it came to uh, really prosecuting the facts against R. Kelly uh, over the years, because you're right, Me Too was not a thing. And people believed the victimizer and not the victim, as disgusting as that sounds in 2021, Nobody believed Tiffany. I called the uh, state's attorney, that's our prosecutor in Cook County, which is the, the county where Chicago is. I called him again and again and again. 
And now I was a 25, 26 year old lawyer who had no clout whatsoever, but I called and called and called and tried to get him interested in prosecuting the case because that's what Tiffany wanted, by the way. Tiffany didn't care about the money. She wanted to see this guy locked up because of what he had done to her. And by the way, Tiffany's best friend was a singer named Aaliyah, very famous uh, R&B singer that R. Kelly discovered. And Tiffany sang on and toured the world with Aaliyah and Robert Kelly. So yes, that, that's a great point. Me Too was not a thing. In fact, it was like the opposite of Me Too. And as you know, there, there's all manner of uh, chickens coming home to roost for R. Kelly right now, and he's gonna face judgment. So, so tell me, how did the how did the kind of this this story play out? I mean, you're a 25 year old lawyer. Uh, you know how you said you you had zero clout at this stage. Like, how did the the case play out over, over how long a period? And and yeah, how did that? What was it like? Well, I, I was lucky. I had resources because I worked at a very successful firm, and I hired a private investigator. And I did two things. First thing I did was found a lot of other victims. And I took their statements because I thought their stories were important, even back then, even though uh, the court probably would have discouraged me if we ever got to that point of putting their stories in evidence. I took their statements. The other thing I did was, I don't know if you know this, but R. Kelly married Aaliyah. He married her when she was 15 years old and he had somebody fake her birth certificate and there was a marriage certificate and I actually went and I took the statement of the officiant, the person who did the, the, I sent my private investigator to find the officiant at their ceremony to show that he had, he had done this to other people. And the other thing I did was he had a choir teacher at his, um, his former school, Kenwood Academy, where our, my client Tiffany went to school. And she, I don't want to say that she was arranging this for him, but she sort of made it okay because R. Kelly would come into the classroom when he was 27 years old, he would come into the classroom and he would um, meet these young girls. And, you know, it's a very interesting thing because the imprimatur of, um, of, it being okay, you know, teacher says it's okay to hang around R. Kelly. Well, that made it a lot less weird, I think, for some of these people that thought that R. Kelly was going to help their careers and make them famous. So how did that all relate to me? Well, I, I did a lot of gumshoe work, you know. There's, um, when you're a young lawyer, you know, the grinding it out is a big deal. And I ground it out on my, this is one of my first cases. And it's definitely my first big case. And I ground it out. I went and left every stone that I, I turned over every stone I could. I shut every door, every window. And I talked to everybody I could about this because I knew that the facts matter. And deep down inside of me, even though I had no experience at all, I knew that this was a compelling story. And so, like you said earlier, sometimes the story is the most important thing. And I knew that this story was amazing. And, it, as, and when I say amazing, I'm not trying to minimize how horrifying it was, but I knew that this was sensational and that people would be captivated by it. 
So how did this play out in the in the course of the the trial itself? Well, we filed a lawsuit. So this case never actually went to trial. And in fact, it never actually went to trial because uh, Kelly and his people were concerned about the outcome and what it would mean to his career. So they settled. And frankly, I have mixed feelings about that. Uh, I was not in favor of settling the case. I believe that settling for money well, I think Tiffany was a young, I think at the time she was 20 years old, and I think she felt like she had no choice. And she felt like the odds were stacked against her. Remember, you know, 1995 or 96 when this happened, we lived in a different world, and people were not believing poor, young, black women from the south side of Chicago. They weren't believing them over R. Kelly. And so... You know, I, I, like I said, I have mixed feelings about the fact that we settled because I believe that settling for money in silence victimizes the victims further. So I didn't want to settle, but it ultimately wasn't my decision. It was Tiffany's decision and frankly, my boss's decision. I, you know, I was, I was a kid, but it was, you know, something that has shaped my career because I always, you know, yeah. So ask the question. Well, my question was going to be, how did how did this affect the rest of your career? That was literally my follow up for you was was, yeah, what what did this what impact did this have on you as a lawyer for the rest of your, your career? There's an amazing quote that um, is attributed to Martin Luther King that says that the arc of justice, the, I'm sorry, the moral arc of the universe bends is long, but bends towards justice. And so for me, being a part of something that I wasn't particularly proud of, which is the, you know, the R. Kelly case and the fact that we settled. I'm, I'm very proud of, of my relationship with Tiffany and the work that I did and the work that I continue to do on other cases where he is, uh, where he's a predator. But it definitely gave me some experience uh, that allowed me to understand that sometimes. Um, you know, you have to really stay in the fight in order to achieve justice. And I worry that had, you know, and it bothers me that, you know, had we not been more persistent back then, you know, maybe all of these other people that were victims wouldn't have been victims. And so, you know, part of that feeling is on me and I live with that. And I, and I, and I don't want to say that I was complicit in that, but, you know, I definitely felt it and understand why that's important. And so what's the what's the sort of um, the environment, the environment, the, 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 how, how is this sort of space now in 2021 versus 25 years ago? Like uh, you said, you're still sort of practicing in cases around this kind of topic of um, sexual predators and so on. And so I just wonder like, what is the climate now uh, from your perspective as a, as a lawyer? Well, from a societal perspective, people understand that the victims are truly victims. And, you know, back then people would say, oh, well, it's not like he forcibly raped her. She was 15 and she consented to the sex. No, a 15-year-old can't consent under any circumstances to sex with a 27-year-old man. And so people have come around to understand 
that. It's not, you know, this is not so much, it's, it's more about power and controlling people. And especially in R. Kelly's case, because he has been such a serial predator of young, marginalized black girls. You know, people would say R. Kelly, he maybe was one of the most famous R&B singers in the world, sold hundreds of millions of albums. He could have been probably with most anyone that he wanted to be with, but he would find the girl at McDonald's who was sitting by herself and eating French fries and that nobody was, you know, interested in, and he would prey on that person. And he ruined lives. He probably ruined, Jim DeRogata said he, he victimized 50, 40 or 50 people, and that's that we know of. And my guess is the number's way higher. And I'm just grateful that um, some really smart and wonderful people are prosecuting him at the Department of Justice. And I'm hoping that he spends the rest of his life behind bars like he is right now. Thank you to Ian for sharing his story today. What a challenge to take fresh out of law school. And even if Ian might not have secured the result he wanted at the time, his work has certainly had an overwhelming impact on this case and many others like it, I'm sure. If you want to find out more about Iron and Goldberg and Goldberg, you can find all of the links in the show notes at thatonecase.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it with someone you think would also find it interesting. I really would appreciate that. All the details on how to subscribe can be found at thatonecase.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time as Kenneth Levine tells us the story of That One Case. That One Case.